Hello and welcome to Breeders' Cup Daily. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal back with you sitting on this lovely little stretch of lawn here at Keeneland. Just an absolutely gorgeous fall day, unseasonably warm. Seems like that's going to be the case for the remainder of the week, which is exciting news. Fingers crossed, of course. I'm bringing in to today's show a man who got a nice little shout out at the draw from uh, Brittany Erton. I'm sure he appreciated that. He made the morning line. You hear him on these airwaves all the time. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Ready for uh, the continuation of an exciting week. I feel like I've already accomplished something getting the work done that I have, but there's still plenty more to do. Let's talk about the challenge of making the morning line at the Breeders' Cup in a general way for starters. You, you've done a lot of different uh, projects in terms of, of handicapping and betting over the years. Where, just in a difficulty scale, did making the morning line for the two days of the Breeders' Cup compare to some of the other challenges you, you've seen in this game? Oh, good question. Way to put it put it in context properly. Um, it was probably, I guess, your level of preparation for like a, a, a big handicapping contest, one where you're going to be you know, playing for multiple days and, and doing all that jazz is pretty – pretty significant. I think the, like with anything else in life, the more you can game plan it, the more you can set a schedule for yourself. One of the things that I am, I know I'm good at, and I'm, I'm generally pretty self-effacing is um, time management. So I try to manage my time pretty much to the minute from when I wake up to when I go to sleep and, and have benchmarks in my head of when I'm going to get certain things done. So I, I kind of figured that I was going to let the morning line process kind of dictate to me how long it was going to take or how hard it was going to be. It really wasn't that hard once I had a plan in place. So I guess the difficulty was, you know, what are you going to do with Euros? How are you going to get European racing information? Is the blurb in Timeform US going to be enough? You know, do you, how much are you going to dig into at the races to see how the horses they've run against have performed? How many replays for each one are you going to watch? How much are you going to study how they've bet Aiden O'Brien in the past? How much are you going to look at past morning lines? And these are all things I did. So it's it's a matter That's of right. yeah, a matter of of you know arranging all of those in the right context and and the right uh, system. And so I would say it probably wasn't as difficult as preparing to bet the Breeders' Cup and to play in a, in an event like the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, but. Um, don't, <laughs> I, I won't hesitate for a second in saying it was plenty difficult. Let me ask about how those two tasks differ, because obviously there's the, the ways in which they're similar, I imagine are, are obvious. You're looking at a lot of different form and figures and you're weighing up the chances of the runner. But I want to get now, now take me to, to that fork in the road where what you're, the work that you've done differs from the work that you're still in the, in the process of doing, I would imagine. Yeah, the, you know, the morning line process reaches a conclusion, right? I mean, I'm done with it now. There's nothing, nothing to touch. My, uh, my affiliation with the Breeders' Cup is at this point is as a fan um, and as a better. So there, whereas with the, with the contest and with the handicapping, you're sort of evolving on that all the way until post time. And I think, you know, we could run into some situations 
especially on on Saturday of this Breeders' Cup, where we're going to be dealing with unseasonably high temperatures. We're probably going to have a super fast track um, that could easily end up being very speed favoring. We could have a turf course that really firms up and, and maybe it gets kind to speed horses and we'll make adjustments with that. Whereas, you know, again, with the morning line, I'm finished. I finished last night when I sent in the undercard races and um, and just was done then. So um that's probably the biggest difference between the two. And, and I would say in that respect, that's why the morning line process is actually a little bit easier, but um, it, it, it was certainly, it was certainly arduous. What was the toughest part? You know, you, you went through that litany of things that you did. What was the hardest thing? And let me just apologize for when I talk, but there's a ridiculously loud lawnmower. I didn't know a lawnmower can be this loud here. So hopefully that's not too distracting for the listeners, but I'll mute when I'm not talking. Yeah. The, the, the trickiest bit, Nick, what was it? It was the European info. Um, no question about it. I mean, the dirt races went way faster than the turf races. And, you know, I will admit that uh, I was done with the distaff and classic long before the process really even started. So uh, that reduced it to 12 races pretty much right away. The classic I, I kind of did, gosh, two weeks ago, roughly. I mean, when we kind of knew exactly who the, who the eight horses would be and that Cyberknife would go in the dirt mile, um, it became pretty clear how things would go. And, um, and so the distaff, you know, the only addition was that we ended up having, I think one more horse running it than before. But uh, as far as the dirt races go, I mean, we know those horses really, really well. And it was going to be a matter of how much you could, could adjust based on who was in there. But the turf races, it was the, it was the European form. It was definitely figuring out, you know, how do some of these running styles work? Are they complementary? Are they? And actually, I, I said this on Steve Bick's show earlier this morning. He and I go through the pace scenarios for every Breeders' Cup race each year. And the thing that I was kind of amazed by is that a, a number of the European entrants this year, the international entrants, I should say, uh, have speed. So, you know, it was... It was one of those where, you know, if you, I guess under a normal circumstance, if a filly like the Platinum Queen as a two-year-old had twice beaten older horses and she was coming over for the juvenile turf sprint, regardless of how good our horses looked on paper, you would generally assume she'd be a, a, a sh shorter price than I made her. One of the problems is that she's kind of a speed horse and that is a race loaded with speed. So from a tactical perspective, for the people that are really going to bet serious money on this event, they're going to realize that um, that what that the opportunity that's in place is, is for them to potentially bet against this horse and, and get a little value going against her um, in that pool. So, yeah, it's it's it was that for the most part. Um, I, I will say that from my own handicapping each year with the Breeders' Cup and then any time we're ever dealing with a sizable amount of international participation. I sort of enjoy the thrill of the chase with the, the international horses and finding their replays and going through at the races and going through the time form us information. And I made a couple of notes along the way about high field princess and above the curve and horses that, that I knew were going to end up running. So yeah, it was, that was, was probably the, the most difficult part, but um, you've got to know all of your, your little avenues. And I think once you, you develop them, it gets a lot easier. You made a, a reference to the At The Races, and there's a thing on there, the At The Races website, there's a thing on there that is really, really useful, which I'm assuming you was one of the tools you were looking at, that future 
form little button that they have in the inline pass performances. And they actually have it for USA runners as well. It's just a very, very easy way to get not just an overview of what horses did out of certain races, but to, which they do provide, but to be able to really get granular and, and look exactly how they performed. It's, it's, a, it's a great tool. And uh, again, I think it's something available for the American race PPs they have too. And, you know, we can do something similar in Formulator, but I, I just think it's pretty elegant the way they do it. Is that one of the tools that you were referencing? Yeah, I took a look at that, um, and then that helped a good deal. Um, in fact, they didn't have that originally when I, I mean, I, I say when I started handicapping the Breeders' Cup, but probably when I first looked at at the races, which was somewhere around seven or eight years ago. Um, the other thing that I used from a from a handicap from a, a morning line making standpoint that I probably wouldn't if if I was just conventionally handicapping was odds checker, and and yeah. I, I noticed that um, odds checker was a lot more obviously it was heavily geared towards European based runners, which is understandable. I mean, those are, those are anti-post markets. So you would expect it, but what it did was it generally confirmed for me. And I didn't look at anything that might have odds until I had made my own odds. So for example, I know that the DRF had a morning line in their advanced PPs that, and, and I knew that David Aragona had done some of those lines. So obviously I knew that, you know, that was somebody whose work I would really have a lot of respect for, but I purposely did not look at it until I was done because I just didn't want to be swayed. And I didn't want to think about, you know, oh, well that, you know, that could be this because the other thing is that most of the people I talk to are handicappers. So they're thinking, well, I wouldn't want to bet that horse at that price. So he shouldn't make it that price. I didn't want that kind of info. I right. wanted, you know, I wanted as little info as possible. So, you know, the good thing with odds checker was it, it helped me understand that, um, that Nashua is going to be a very well-backed horse and that uh, Meditate is probably good enough to be favored in the, in the juvenile Phillies turf. And um, modern games in Kinross, when push comes to shove, there probably isn't supposed to be that much separation in their prices respectively. And so I think I was able to, to sort of accurately take that info and use it to my advantage. It's very, very good stuff. I want to talk to you about some of the specifics. Let's let's look at, at some of these races, and I'll just ask you uh, a bunch of questions about it. Well, let's start off with the, the juvenile turf sprint. Actually, here's a, a general question very much related to this race because the Platinum Queen got this outside draw that I think is not uh, going to be her friend, let's put it that way. But how much did you change any of the lines post-draw? I changed three lines. Um... I adjusted. Well, obviously the biggest adjustment made yesterday happened before the draw, which was Jack Christopher coming out of the sprint. Sure. So, I mean, that made an enormous difference. Um, what I did change was I moved Raging Sea up from six to eight. I moved Basil Martini up from 10 to 15. They're in the Juvenile Phillies and Juvenile Phillies turf, respectively. And I made... I moved chop chop down to four from seven to two that had more to do with the fact that I felt like I could make an adjustment after I moved raging seas odds. And the more I looked at that race, the more I realized that with, with the pace scenario and everything of that sort, chop chop is, is a, like a very embraceable horse. She feels like a horse that's really going to take a lot of money. Uh, Brad Cox, Joel Rosario, big pace expected, so on and so forth. So I moved her down to four. And I, I narrowed the gap between Rebels Romance and Nation's Pride. 
So that was, those were really more, I mean, I guess if you will, you could call them cosmetic than anything else. Those last two changes, they were not specifically because of a draw. They just had to do with me making adjustments that, um, that I wanted to make so that I felt like I could create a more accurate line. I was, uh, I'm sorry. I, uh, I adjusted echo Zulu upwards. Also, she went from six to eight, I believe, or did I, you know what? I may not have actually sent, I may not have actually put that change. <laughs> I wanted to do that. I wanted Breaking to, news. could be, yeah, I was going to say, could be that you uncovered it. Um, so I will admit echo Zulu was, and we can probably talk more specifically about certain races. She's a horse yeah. I really struggled with in terms of what to, of what to do with her. I did not move her from six to eight. I left her at six. Um, Because the other thing is she's speed from the outside, but it is seven, eight. So, I mean, by the time they hit the far turn, they've got about a, what, a three and a half furlong run. So it's, it's plenty, it's plenty long enough, but you know, she was one that I struggled with. And and I'll tell you, Pete, the, the big quandary here, and I really admire a guy like, like David Aragona. Um, I know John White is a, is a public handicapper as well, or has publicly given out picks. It is so hard to not let your own wagering interests affect the way you make a line. Because, you know, for me, and I know this happened during the Keeneland meet, there were times where I made horses prices that were too big because I wouldn't bet them. Right. Right. I know, I know that happened. And so for me, the one like Echo Zulu is a great example of that. I would never, ever bet Echo Zulu in this race. I, I and I love Echo Zulu. I've always really appreciated her as a racehorse. But second off a layoff, way better competition, far outside post, pace loaded race. She is thirty to one to me, but she's not thirty to one to the public. No, right. That's and the that's, difference. And that needs to be underlined because there'll be some people listening. Got a lot of new people around here, which we appreciate. That the morning line maker's job. You know, it's, it's a lot of people will think they're, you know, not one dollar is being actually bet on that line. It is an employee or, or, a, or a freelancer's opinion on what the public is going to do. And that's why what Nick is saying now makes sense. And, and it's why you have to wear those two very different hats. I think we should speed round through the races. I'll just I'll come up with a bunch of questions for you. Some of them are going to be variations on the theme of what line was the which horse gave you the most trouble in here. Uh, we'll start off with with race number six. And I did just want to talk a little bit more. And you touched on this already, but about the Platinum Queen and uh, and how you decided to to come up with the seventh two number on her. Yeah, uh, that was probably the most difficult thing in this race was threefold. What price to make her? how much to separate her and love reigns and what price to make Tyler's tribe because Tyler's tribe is going to get way more play than he should. The other thing that made this race a little trickier was they didn't, they didn't put Oxymore in here until yesterday. So, and we're talking about this on Tuesday. So I should say on Monday. So I got notified that Oxymore was going to the juvenile turf sprint around nine 30 AM central time on Monday. And, and obviously the line changed a lot. I, I hate this line. I've got five 15 to one shots. I feel like that's very, that's just very cop out, but I don't think a lot of the horses are going off 40 and I don't think a lot of them are going off eight. So that means they kind of fit in that, you know, 10 to 20 range. It's a light line. I could have probably moved some down to 12. Uh, in, in retrospect, I would have probably moved private creed down to 10 and I could have moved Persian force down to 12. But yeah, that that was kind of how that one went. Interesting. And for folks who want 
Nick selections. We're going to have those as part of our uh, in the money picks grid on our plus service. Nick also going to be active there. I hope. Uh, is that cool for you to do a couple of plus pods for us this weekend? Do you have the the, the time in your schedule to to knock yeah, out some well, yeah, we'll, five content? Yeah, we'll definitely get that done. Awesome. In the money podcast.com slash plus the place to go for that. Let's pivot to the second Breeders' Cup race, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, a race that I keep playing in my mind and I, I keep coming up with with long shots that I think might be able to upset the apple cart in here. Obviously, when it comes to making a morning line, that uh, that doesn't matter so much at all. Um, you're really just looking, again, to come up with that that public guess. The other thing I think is interesting for people maybe to hear about is the process of the physical process of making the morning line. Like, how do you do you start with odds? Do you start with points? How did how did that all go into the hopper for the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile Phillies? I usually start with odds and um, and for these races, pretty much for probably 11 of the 14, I was at somewhere between 135 and 150 points and I needed to shave off. So right. that was generally the case every single time. And this was a particular race where I had to go from, I want to say I was in the low 130s. I had to get down to one, I'm at 126.6. So that's a very, very solid line in my opinion. I mean, hopefully. What's your goal? What's your like ideal, you know, over round? Somewhere between 120 and 128 is ideal. So I have a couple that are pushed up from that. I have a few that are in the in the 129s, but I will never publish a 130 plus. <laughs> it's just, it's just you not draw me. the line. Yeah, it has no no chance of being accurate at that point. Um, as far as the juvenile fillies goes, I you know I needed to determine that chocolate gelato was going to be the favorite. I did that pretty early on. It, it seemed clear to me. I think the horse that maybe gave me the most trouble. There were two two things that gave me trouble in here. A, are they going to bet Chop Chop or Wonder Wheel more, even though we all know that Wonder Wheel ran better last time, but Chop Chop is a way better fit for this race? And yep. um, and how much of the ire of the Californians am I going to draw by making <laughs> and tell me no lies the fourth choice? Right. So, you know, but when push comes to shove, you look at any measurable speed figure. And I looked at buyer speed figures, time form US figures, thoroughgraph figures. She's slow. So, I mean, there's just no... You know, there's there's no fixing that. There's no ignoring it as far as making a morning line. So that's why she got to eight to one pretty easily. Let's talk about the juvenile Phillies turf. One of these races where you certainly had to do um, a whole lot of homework. But there also are some domestic competitors that you have uh, priced uh, very competitively with some of those. How did you come up with that balance? Yeah, this was one where I probably allowed uh, odds checker to influence my opinion. Um, maybe to see where they had meditate and then see that they didn't have another international based horse until midnight mile fourth choice. It made it pretty clear to me that she was the class of the international contingent. And the problem with the domestic horses is that there's really not just one that you could point to and say, okay, that's the one. Right. And so I, I have free look as the shortest price. I'm kind of banking on there being a little bit of Chad Brown factor. This horse drew well. Also, I thought she showed some versatility in being closer to the pace in the Miss Grillo. And I know she got beaten. So I didn't want to look too foolish by separating the prices between she and Pleasant Passage, especially with Irad Ortiz being on Pleasant Passage. So that was why I went with free look as the second choice. Delight is a local winner. I wanted to upgrade her for that reason as well. Um, 
be your best to me in many ways, betting wise is probably the forgotten horse in this field. But I mean, the favorite in this race was 4.9 to one last year. I wouldn't be shocked if we're in that range again. I think we could be looking at a, at a, at a nine to two favorite very easily. And, uh, and I think it'll be meditate. Um, the favorite in this race last year was an absolutely shocking name when I went back and looked through the charts, but uh, so anything can happen. I could turn it around on you and tell me to, to tell me who the favorite in that <laughs> was last year. I bet the race. All I, all I remember is thinking I was home and hosed down with cachet for a minute before it all went wrong. Who was ended up being I, a very nice horse. Yeah, exactly. I ended up uh, being a classic winner. What uh, just didn't get it done on that day for me, but no, I can't remember off the top of my head. Who is it? Koala princess. Oh, right. Four point right. one for yeah, Arnold was... Core coming from uh, from Kentucky down. So, yeah, I mean, this is a race where it's it's kind of nice that Aiden O'Brien is running or that Meditate is running because it, she makes it easier, but not by much. In the juvenile, how close did you come to making Cave Rock even shorter than four to five? Close. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I really I really kind of wish I had. And I think if I were, if I were probably more willing to, I would have, I would have clicked verifying up. I would have clicked national treasure up. Um, I would have brought Forte up to nine to two, and that would have enabled me to get him down to three to five. The problem is I would have been at one thirty one, so I'd have been a little too high. And so I, I, I kind of wish I had. If I could have made him seven to ten, I would have made him seven to ten. <laughs> there's no, you know, that we're not, we're not going that, uh, that specific, but yeah, he, he, to me looks like a, just an absolutely overwhelming favorite. And, and part of it is that he's really good. I just don't know if any of the other ones in there are. So he, he was a pretty easy, heavy favorite. How much pressure is there on you? And I don't think this is asking you to talk out of school. And if it is punt the question, but how much pressure is there on you to not make courses too high for an event like the breeders cup? I mean, I feel like traditionally morning line makers are usually held to, to, to one of the biggest differences you'll see is horses not being high enough. Cause the, the theory goes that racetracks don't want to make horses 50 to one, hundred to one to like insult the, the, the owners who are patronizing their racetrack, et cetera, et cetera. Did, did, did you have any uh, conversations with anybody at the breeders Cup about that? Or did you address that issue internally? You know, Pete, I, I have a lot of respect for our listening audience and I think they're all intelligent people. And so I'm going to tell them to look through the odds and they can get back to me on whether there was a cap. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Let's talk about the closing race on Friday, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Um, another race, obviously, where we've got uh, you had to make some tricky decisions with the USA horses versus the, the the foreign horses. Silver not at three to one. I thought that was an interesting line. I'd be very happy with that price for him. I think he could be substantially lower, but I'm not saying it was like a, a mistake or anything. It's a, it's a very tricky race to make a line for. Yeah, uh, Oddschecker has him at three to two. So you're probably right. Yeah, and and the other thing is that the again, like the juvenile Phillies turf, the American contingent is sort of like a eh, uh, okay, you know, I yeah, I could I could hear that one. You know, the best horse, domestic horse in the race is probably Paxawallop, and you know taking a California turf horse and making them a short price in a race like this is very difficult. The other thing that is, is pertinent in this conversation is that all of the Appleby horses are going to be shorter than they should be. Uh, it's, it's going to be, he could lose every single race this year and 
every one of his horses will likely have been an underlay. So I think if Silvernaut was going to be, you know, if he was going to be three on the morning line, I would have probably made him five to two. Or, you know, or if he was going to be two, I'd have probably been more inclined to make him eight to five. This is a race where I just don't. The, so the questionable thing for me is I don't know how much the the public will really wrap their hands around European form. And so I just don't know if they can really make Silver Knot short. I would have probably preferred him at five to two, and I would have just moved everybody else up because I just don't know who, like, I don't know who the public is going to bet, right? I mean, I, of the American horses, I just don't know. I mean, I could see them betting in the winner is because he won locally. I could see them betting on Very Busy, who was a huge favorite last time out. Um, I could see them betting Major Dude, who ran really well last time out, albeit on kind of a, a quirky turf course. You know, the only horses in this race I couldn't see them betting at all were Gaslight Dancer and Curly Larry and Mo. It's, so it's no. it's a tough task when you you know when you get to that level because you have to have even if you're looking at it through the proper lens you have to say to yourself look I may not bet on that horse but can anyone bet on that horse right, right? and this is a race where you know I can see myself being very very cautious from a wagering perspective and um and you know just going to just kind of punting I I hear you it I I. I'm leaning to getting kind of stuck into Silver Knot. My question with him going in was, what's the ground going to be like? And again, weather forecasts can change. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, good to firm or, or maybe even a little bit firmer than that. But I just think on that kind of ground, he could, he could, I, I may end up making my life pretty simple there and, and getting, getting fairly stuck into him. But, but you know, we'll see. I'm going to keep grinding on this stuff. We've got our final answer show. That's going to be tomorrow night. We'll go through all these races and give selections with me and Vanessa Ryle and JK and, and Philip Schultz. Let's talk about Saturday's races and how the lines were made, starting off with the Breeders' Cup uh, Turf Sprint, a race that uh, another one I, I, I didn't envy trying to, to come up with exactly what the crowd is going to do with these big favorites. Are you happy with how you settled it? Yeah, I was. Um, you know, you think Golden Pal's going to go off less than two to one? I think it's likely he'll go off a shade less than that. Yeah, okay. I, I, I would, I would think that just all the attendant, uh, all the attendant hype and seemingly being clear and, and, and all that stuff. But it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I say that not having sat down and done and done the, the exercise of, of, uh, coming up with, I wouldn't make a morning line as a horse player, as a horse player, you want to make a 100% value line. The idea being you're not trying to beat the takeout as you know, you're trying to predict what people are going to bet. So you need to factor in the takeout. That's why it's not hundred percent as a horse player, you do it to a hundred. And I'm not saying that if I did that exercise, I could actually get him lower, but that's just my gut is that it's just one of the stories of the whole, of the whole meet and the local success and the narrative that he's so much better in Kentucky, which may well be a reality as well. Um, but yeah, that's a, a long winded way of saying, I, th I think he, he probably will end up going off a little bit shorter than that, but uh, I'm guessing your hands were a little bit tied with that, with that, just given all the runners you had to account for in here. Yeah, right. And, and there were, uh, there were a handful that I think will take virtually no money, you know, and, and, and actually a number of them are, uh, internationals, um, Flotus, uh, go bears, go naval crown. They don't look like they're going to garner much support. So, 
you know, would I have preferred to maybe have Casadero a little lower than 20? Perhaps. I, I originally put in 20 on Caravel, and I thought, I can just see some numbskull on Twitter telling me, I can't believe you made Caravel 20. <laughs> and I looked closer to the PPs and was like, no, she's a 20 to one shot in here. So, you know, but then I also wanted to show enough respect for Campanelli because she's going to have a lot of support, deservedly so. And, you know, the horse that's really difficult for me here is is a Casa Creed because he can totally win on figures. He's a great fit on figures. He's just going to have to hustle. I mean, he's going to have to be he's going to have to be on his giddy up very, very quickly. So um, we'll. I think it works out okay. I do think Golden Pal, if the field stays intact, will uh, – and incidentally, I mean, for anybody out there who's wondering, if there's a scratch, the only AE is Oceanic. Dancing Buck has stayed home. So um, okay. I don't envision there being a scratch, obviously. But, yeah, if if I think all things considered, if this field goes, Golden Pal will go down. Highfield Princess will go down, mainly because a lot of those horses I rattled off will go up in odds. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, and 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 I think that's right. This might be might be one where you didn't have that many at thirty, but it does feel like one where where maybe not wanting to push horses out too far was part of part of where where it landed, as opposed to where you think it might go. If there are late scratches, do you do a revised line if it's a big scratch, or is, is it is the work one hundred percent done? At this point, I understand 100% done. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, not because I wouldn't mind doing the work, but because I wouldn't want to lose a, a you know, a, a particularly like interesting type of horse. Um, I mean, if Flightline were to scratch, God forbid, I imagine they probably yeah. want me to redo a line. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Don't even say it out. I regret asking the question. Don't even say it out loud. <laughs> Let's talk about the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile line, a race, a race where I would imagine you started later than the other dirt races just because we weren't sure of the, what the complexion of this field was going to be until until rather late with the various possibilities of horses cr- cross-entering, etc. Et uh, am I right in that assumption? And uh, did, did you struggle at all with the, with, with the, the favorites in, in this race? This, this was, as you said, more about figuring out who was going to go. Um, luckily it looked pretty clear early on where everybody was going to go. I mean, obviously before Jack Christopher was removed altogether, um, it, it, it looked like he'd probably go to the sprint. So the other question was, I mean, I didn't think that Asmussen was going to run goodnight against Jackie. So yeah, I mean, it seemed like it would be, it'd be relatively simple, um, that, that, you know, goodnight would go here and, and. Obviously, Cody's wish was always going. He, I don't think he was cross-entered in any other race. Laurel River was was obviously one to to kind of figure out. I'll tell you what what. So I made the line for this race, and and then I went to, I looked up the lines in the DRF PPs that I knew David had made, and I got to, I got to this race, and I looked, and I was like, holy crap! David made Laurel River the favorite. And I thought, man, I mean, what? You know, I get it. He's got a 108 buyer. It's Baffert. You know, it's really sensible. But, but I mean, I had him at I had him at five at that point. I'm sorry, I had him at nine to two. And I got really concerned. And I started looking around. I looked at my PPs. I looked back at the screen. Brad Free made the line. Now, this is not a slight against Brad, but I know that Brad put a little California love on that line. 
Right, 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 right. right. So, and Brad, Brad did an excellent job with the whole card. I, I commend him for doing it. He actually had a way more difficult task than I did because he had to account for cross entries and he had a short period of time to do it. So all respect. I, I've, I've always loved Brad. I've been reading Brad since I was a little kid, but I thought, oh, good. Okay, now I'm not as concerned. So I feel good about it. And, and yeah, Brad, you feel good about his line as well. But I feel good about it. I think Cody's wish is a favorite. Um, I thought, I thought, I think that Gnight is a very interesting horse from a betting perspective. I, I don't know how much they're going to bet him, Pete. I think they're going to bet him a lot. You know, I think he's going to be very popular. It's a very un asmussen like move to bring a horse back this quickly off that kind of performance. But, you know, it's obvious he's saying right now, this horse is really good. He's going good. And we're going to take a shot. And to return to the Brad point, always a pleasure to have him on these airwaves. Absolutely fantastic. One of, one of the best. Yeah. But but when it comes to making a morning line, I mean, I assume David, I assume for you, like me, David is the, he's the gold standard. I mean, he has an uncanny gift for it, in my opinion. No question about it. David's the guy you're going to if you want to, if you want to talk about it. And I did exchange some texts with David yesterday morning to make sure that, you know, that, that he was thinking the same thing on a lot of those and um, and actually, we spent a lot of, of we we talked a good bit about this race because one of the horses that we were talking about was Cyberknife. And, you know, David made the point to me before I even brought it up that Cyberknife is likely to get a lot of money. Uh, I think the three year olds are going to get a lot of money. So it's uh, it's it'll be very interesting to see how the public uh, handles them. We've got a little bit of a clock on us, so we do have to get into more of a speed round mode as we go through. Uh, how difficult or easy was the line to make for the Philly and Mertor? Um, Not too hard. Nashville looked like a pretty solid favorite on odds checker. She was uh, seven to four. So it was, it was a little, a little, not really terribly difficult to be honest with you. I think one of, one of my esteemed friends that I spoke to was surprised that I didn't make an Italian, the favorite. And so I, I realized that I was not ever making an Italian, the favorite. And I, I feel pretty strongly that Nashville will be favored here. I, I just wanted to be careful about making above the curve too big a price because there really was no separation between the two of them. Now, I think anybody would probably admit in watching the replay, Nashville ran a lot better than above the curve did. But above the curve, you know, you, you get a, like a little bit of an iridesa vibe from her. She's an improving horse for Joey O'Brien, who I think is very, very dangerous. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say in Italian, I mean, look, I think you're probably right about the about the seventh too. But yeah, the idea of making her the favorite seems—I I would have said that—that that, that seemed a little, a little nutty to me. I, I feel like internationally, um, she's going to be significantly longer priced than that. But I'm sure a lot of that is just going to be um, European bias, as it were. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, also um, Nashua being trained by a guy like John Gosden obviously contributed. That's part of the reason why Tuesday is is eight to one, right? If Tuesday was trained by by you know Richard Fahey, she'd probably be. Not that Richard Fahey's not a good trainer, but she'd probably be a much bigger price. The fact that she's an Aiden O'Brien horse, obviously she's a little lower than than she would be otherwise. Those famous names carry uh, the day sometimes when it comes to the betting money from the public. Uh, same question I asked you about the, uh, the other big favorite here with Jackie's Warrior in the BC Sprint. Any thought to going even lower after that scratch? And remind us again what he was pre-scratch and, and obviously four to five now. Yeah, I was looking at nine to five on him and five to two on Jack Christopher, obviously went to four to five. I think I had Kamari originally at, at five, uh, moved her down to four. What stopped me from making him shorter is that 
I think Kamari is going to get a lot of money in here. And I can see horses like, even horses like Flash of Mischief and, um, but more so American Theorem and Aloha West getting real money. So I didn't, you know, I didn't want to max everybody else out at 30 and make him one to two or three to five, because I just don't think that would have been a particularly accurate line. I think four to five is better. I think that's more like what the crowd's going to do. There's going to be, there'll be some other narratives here. Now, I don't, haven't heard anybody else make this observation, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kamari does become a bit of a talking horse because she looked so good on track here yesterday. I mean, really eye catching and just if that becomes part of the narrative along with the fast figures and, you know, I'm still a little surprised they chose this race instead of the, 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 the Philly and Mary Sprint. Where would you, where would you put her? You know, originally I thought it was really silly, but I see this race and I see this, the Philly and Mare Sprint. And if they really believe that she's better at six or six and a half, then I think they made the right choice. I think I'm going to better in this race. I really do. I think, I think she might get exactly the right trip just off the pace and and I'm skeptical enough of Jackie's Warrior to take a little swing against. Breeders' Cup mile, who gave you trouble? Well, I'll tell you what was interesting here, Pete, is that I would have probably, had he not run his last race, I would have probably made modern games more like two to one. But his last race was not particularly good. And and when I went to Odds Checker, I was I was shocked that modern games was five to two and Kinross was eleven to four. And you dig through Kinross's form and you realize he is a very good horse. Now, he didn't get any, any favors done for him at the draw. This is also a race, I think, that has more speed than, than people initially realize. But um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting spot for the Europeans. You have a horse like Dream Loper who comes in off this just sensational performance in a race that historically has had a huge impact on the Breeders' Cup mile. So I wanted to make sure that she was properly handled as well. And you had some interesting horses that were going to take, uh, you know, a pretty decent amount of money like uh, Ivar and uh, Regal Glory. And then obviously the, the hardest one to handle was domestic spending because domestic spending based on his actual form is about a seven to two or four to one shot. But you've got the layoff to deal with. I originally had him at six. I moved him to eight. And when he ended up getting the 14 post, I was glad I had moved to eight. <laughs> yeah, that definitely is a, just a, a horrific draw for that horse. And um We'll see what he does. It'll be just an incredible training job if, if he can come back to form from those circumstances. I wouldn't put it past them, but I doubt I will be betting that way. Breeders' Cup Distaff. Now, this race, when talking about this race before you have PPs, I mean, JK and I talked about this race at one point on the airwaves like it was a match race with the with the two um, Pletcher runners. And now... I, I mean, I just I think it's just so much more open than that, and I, I might even challenge J.K. to a Asmussen runners versus Pletcher runners bet because I kind of like the situations for both uh, Clarier and um, and and Society in this race. Very curious about uh, if you had any kind of evolution in your opinion on this one and how happy you are with the way the numbers fell. I, I was. I mean, I I probably was not expecting that search results and society were going to look as good on paper as they do. And I also was not properly respecting that the public is likely going to be a little more forgiving of Clarier's last race than I originally thought. And just based on some of the chatter that I hear and a there's a whole bit, narrative there too, with the, this, you know, and, and it is, I say narrative, it could well be legit, but with her 
acting up in the gate and bouncing her face off there and apparently coming back with like a giant gash on her tongue and like and at least this has been the plan for a while i'm 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 inclined to be forgiving i may be being too forgiving we'll see no i think she's gonna get a lot of money i really do i think i think there's also a world in which um she's helped by the the way that by the race flow so you know the funny thing about her from an odds perspective and i said this to a couple of different people is that if i if this exact field was loading into the starting gate the third day after nests alabama i would have made clarier seven to five right (laughs) she would have been eight to five probably and nest would have been the second choice at you know at at two and a half or three to one Malathot would have been about six and then Malathot has come back with two grade one wins and and kind of flipped the script altogether. meanwhile society has put together two good races in a row so it was a it was a little tricky um i think that nest will probably open shorter than nine to five I think that Malathot should be favored in this race, but I think the public will treat Nest like uh, the darling that they've embraced her as. Those big margin victories, there's something about those that definitely seem to get people... So seductive. Exactly. Breeders' Cup Draft. I'm going to be like one of those jerks on Twitter now, Nick, and I'm going to tell you I would have done done something differently in this race. I would have flipped Rebels Romance and, and Nation's Pride with the news that Buick had chosen nation's pride but the bookies internationally have it have it like you have it so maybe i'm just nuts here but that that for me was a a key piece of signal in this race how much did you factor it in how confident are you about rebels romance being the favorite so here was my determining factor and and maybe this is something that's not going to matter when push comes to shove and i made the decision to make rebels romance the favorite sunday night i saw that that buick opted for nation's pride um i get it I don't know if that might not be something that Applebee's pushing him on to. I wonder if maybe Nation's Pride is better with him. Um, so Rebels Romance's time form numbers are huge. They're way bigger than Nation's Pride's international numbers. And I think that when when all is said and done, even though they were in Germany and that might not necessarily be a spot where we get the same caliber of racing. I mean, the horse did win a group three at Goodwood. He's gotten awfully good. He's won four in a row on the turf. I think, I think he's going to go off the favorite. I could be wrong. This is easily one where nation's pride could end up shorter. But the thing is, are nation's pride's domestic races really that good? I mean, are they really, are you, are, is the public looking at those PPs and they're saying, yeah, nation's pride is faster than warlike goddess. He's a shorter price than her. He's, you know, a significantly shorter price than, than broom or any horse like that. I just wasn't sure. Right. I just didn't have that level of certainty. I did move him from four to seven to two in my final go through because I wanted to narrow the gap a little bit, but I, I think rebels romance ends up favored. Yeah, I'm not sure at all. By the way, I was just you know being cheeky there, throwing that no, one. You uh, were just you were just you know. busting my balls, like everybody else. <laughs> fair. That's a fair comment. Right. <laughs> How much trouble did you have making the warlike goddess number? I had some trouble. Um, you know what surprised me about her, Pete, and I know she was pretty high profile after the Flower Bowl. Was man, they really, really bet her in the Hirsch. Uh, they there was just not a minute where she wasn't an overwhelming favorite and it was almost like i i th- looking back at it i thought well maybe they knew gufo was was not running you know maybe they knew gufo was not going to get it done and they really honed in on her even more but it made it clear to me that she was going to be the third choice um i mean i don't think she'll go off any any less than third choice uh, barring a scratch 
So I, I struggled with exactly where to land. And then as it came, uh, as it came more into focus, it seemed like nine to two was fair. Yeah. I, I think it's, it feels just like the right compromise number. I, I don't know. There's some little part of me that thinks that narrative wise, everything else that she could, I, I don't think she'll be any shorter than the than third choice, but that the number could end up being a little bit lower than there. But again, I wouldn't have put it there. I, I think, I think it was a per- perfect, a perfect guess from this far out, which is, which is all that we can do. Mishrif, another one. I feel like I can make you a case that he, he could be shorter or, or maybe even a, maybe even a tick longer if he really is off form. But I guess, Given just when you just look at the, his best bits of form, you couldn't make him any longer than six to one. How about this one? How did you land on the sixes for him? Yeah, I, I kind of felt like you did, right? I didn't know exactly. How, obviously, he's a horse that, you know, the, the blooms off his rose. He's not, you know, what he was. Um, but he is still a horse that has had moments in the past where he's been immensely popular. He's very well known. And, um, and so I knew the public would have some support for him for that reason. I think if you based it on, on recent form, he looks like a 20 to one shot, but the fact that Gosden is willing to, to maybe give him one more opportunity in the sunshine on firmer turf, it was enough for me to say, okay, I could see this horse getting kind of some of the cheeky wise guy type play with the Tory and, um, and, and that, that he probably needs to be about six. I'll tell you the other reason why I went to that price. I don't see anybody else who can get bet at that level. You know, I just don't yep. think that I don't think that broom or bye bye Melvin can get that kind of money. They just look to me like long shots. And, and so I also felt like Highland chief is a horse that could get a little bit of money, but boy, he had a good trip last time out and then he drew the 13. So it actually ended up filtering out pretty easily. That's interesting. Let's talk about the big race. Give me your process. You said, I, I sense it was probably pretty intuitive given how early you did it, but there had to be a couple of difficult decisions here along the way. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, I think basically the hardest thing for me to figure out was the ordinal odds of the non three of the second, third and fourth choices. So basically it was, you know, obviously flight line was never going to be, I mean, he was always going to be favored, shockingly. Um, but, you know, figure if he's going to be three to five and I'm going to be dealing with Taba Epicenter and Life is Good, you know, are they five, six, and eight? Are they nine to two, six, and eight? You know, who is, what's the order? And I went from having Life is Good as the third choice to Life is Good as the fourth choice and back and forth and ultimately settled on what I did pretty pretty easily and and kind of a while ago. So, I mean, I would say at least a week ago when the pre-entries were out, I knew, I guess almost a week ago, by the time the pre-entries came out, I kind of knew exactly what direction I was going to go. I felt uh, as if I was taking the right approach, looking at odds checker and um, where they have flight line at one to two and epicenter at five and a half to one. And so I was surprised that, um, that right after I left the draw on yesterday and they went to the, to the TVG set. And they were very surprised that life is good was the third choice. And Simon Bray commented that he would, he would give up all of his money. If life is good, it goes off the third choice in this race. And um, I hope he's got access to all of it because life is good is going to be the third choice in this race. <laughs> I love it. What, what's I your, 
and, and, why, and, why, and so here's, give me your thought process on that. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Well, I just, I, I think it's interesting. If you sit down and you handicap this race and you do even a basic amount of work, how the hell can you come to the conclusion that that horse can win? I mean, he has I have virtually... one scenario. I have one scenario and it's terrible. It would be a complete no-show by flight line, like stuck in the gate kind of, you know, something where he just has no impact on the race. Like if he wasn't in the race, I think it's a very easy scenario for life is good. But with him in the race, running any approximation of anything we've ever seen him do on the track, life is good as a handicapper to me has no shot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's something. And, and, see, and even then, I wonder if, Hot Rod Charlie and Epicenter's riders don't look over and they see Flightline, you know, stumbled badly and say to themselves, well, hell with it. We'll just go a little closer and right. and that they wouldn't just wear him down because I think the mile and a quarter is also a, a pretty massive problem for him. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, so in that scenario, which is OK and it's it's viable, it's not likely, but it is it's in the realm of possibility. I could get it, but I still would want at least eight or ten to one on a horse for that to be the main gamble. So oh, as yeah. I, I mean, do, I, I don't believe that's going to happen. Let me clarify. Correct, you know, right, just, right. You know, you're, the yeah, you're coming up with right. You're coming up with the you know the hypothetical scenario. The other thing that kind of put me over the top was when people look at their respective last races. What they're going to realize is that Epicenter is coming off a really good race that, for the most part, was completely validated by everybody else. They didn't quite necessarily get to the number that they got, but they got close enough to show that it was, it was valid and life is good as coming off a 90. What was, what is it? A 97 buyer speed figure where he beat law professor. So, I mean, that's just not, you know, there's nothing about that race that's making you say, Oh yeah, man, let me belly up to the bar to really get my money down on this horse. The the three-year-old hype. And, and I say hype and I don't mean it with any pejorative connotation, but the, the, they're, they, they, there does seem to be a little bit of extra paramutual love for, for horses in that division stepping up. So, and especially when they run the kind of figures that we've seen out of Epicenter and, and Taba. So, yeah, I mean, Bingo. I'm That's exactly I, what I was I, just yeah. about to say. I think the three-year-old angle of it matters. Um, the other thing about Epicenter is that, and I mean, when you're, when you're trying to make an accurate morning line, you have to take into consideration what prices horses have gone off. Epicenter has been favored in five straight races this is a horse who was even money in the Travers. He was even money in the Jim Dandy. He was six to five in the Preakness. That is a horse that has taken nearly a hundred million dollars of win money in those three races, <laughs> right? That is a ton of money. That is a ton of support. And, and those kind of horses. And he has not only won his last two races, he's not only been in the exacta in every race since his debut, but he's getting better and his speed figures are getting faster. And, you know, Asmussen could be looking for his, I don't know, third Breeders' Cup win by the time this race is coming up. You also have Taba, who, you know, of course, everybody has their own opinion of Bob Baffert. But, I mean, Taba's a horse who's taken serious money on multiple occasions last time. I never expected him to be such a big favorite in the Pennsylvania Derby. And he was a big favorite from the start. So it's obvious that the public really likes Taba. So, yeah, I feel good about this line. Um I do think in all likelihood Flightline will go off less than three to five, but it would have just been irresponsible of me as a line maker to make him shorter than that. Cause I think I wouldn't have been giving a lot of other horses in the race their proper due. 
No, I think that's fair. I mean, did you think it? Uh, did you run through the math of looking at it with him one to two? I do think that is is probably what the public is going to do, though. Gosh, I I hope it goes the other way and there gets some. You know, somebody was asking me today about the Sadler record in the Breeders' Cup, and if that concerns me, which it does not. I mean, not after you know. I feel like you break the hoodoo, and, and it's it. I don't know. It doesn't even seem like a talking point to me. But weird things happen, and if this horse somehow goes off at four to five. I mean, it's better the year type stuff. But but anyway, how how much did you think about going realistically lower? A little bit. You know, I I also didn't really feel like one to two was all that big a a big an option. You know, I kind of felt like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna move this horse's price down, I'm gonna go to two to five. And interesting. Uh, and so I, you know, I was at a hundred, the, the line as it currently is, is 127.9. I could have gotten him down to two to five, but that would have put Epicenter at eight. It would have put Life is Good at 10. Um, TVG would have gone nuts. I would have put Tabe at 12. <laughs> <laughs> Tabe at 12 and, uh, and Olympiad at 15. Um, I don't, this is not a handicapping podcast. I don't know if you've heard similarly. I feel like I've heard whispers that Olympiad might not be training that great. So I feel like his price might go up. But, you know, the thing is, people who aren't using workout reports and are just betting the Breeders' Cup, they're going to look at Olympiad's PPs. They're going to say, well, yeah, I mean, he got 105 buyer last time. He got 111 three starts back. It's a fast horse, right? He's, he's, a, he's a good bet at 12 or 15 to 1. Some of them are going to, going to come to that conclusion. So I, I wanted to be respectful of that as well. Let's talk for a minute about the three-year-old championship specifically. What does Taba have to do to move past Epicenter? in your personal uh, rankings of who you'd vote for, for champion three-year-old. He has to win. He's the only one. There are scenarios where, where Epicenter wins the eclipse without winning this race. There are no scenarios where Tava wins without winning this race, in my opinion. Yeah. I so think that's probably has, right. Yeah. He has to win. Um, you know, do I, if he's second and Epicenter is just like a very dull fifth, I think that Epicenter's entire body of work will end up winning out. I also think that there is going to be, there is a chance for the the voters to be a little more critical of Taba because of Baffert. I don't think that's going to be the case with Epicenter. So uh, let's not really get into that realm. Just looking at what they did on the racetrack, he has to win, in my opinion. If you could get all the prices that you made the morning lines. I know we said it's not a handicapping podcast, but we'll throw a little bone here at the end. If you could get all the, if, you, if, if the, those prices were locked in, who's the horse that you would want to bet the most across the two days? Obligatory at eight to one. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, we'll, we'll get fair price. I think, I think, I don't yeah. think that I'm too high. I don't think I'm too low, but yeah, I, if I could, if you could lock me into her at eight to one, I would take it with alacrity. So it seems like going to be a favorable race flow for her as well. I imagine that's part of your, your affinity for. No question about it. Yeah. I mean, it feels like they're going to fly in front of her and, you know, she's just the, she's, she's kind of run everywhere. Every time they've brought her to the post, she's a, I think she's a really kind of underrated horse. And she, she won me over when she was second to Bella Sophia on Belmont weekend and she had no setup whatsoever. So I thought to myself, okay, this is a really, really good horse. Yeah, she's she's pretty special, and I, I agree. She'll probably be that price, and she's definitely one of the ones to consider. Of the various special bets, this is a cheeky way of getting some, you know, Breeders' Cup uh, ad copy in here. But, you know, there are there these special bets, the, the Alter Pick 3 on Friday, 
the, the pick four all turf on Saturday, and then the three cross day daily doubles linking various uh, races. Is there one of those in particular you're interested in sinking your teeth into? Um, I'll probably explore anything turf related. Um, I would say that, yeah, I mean, there's not one that sticks out anything that I can, well, there's nothing that includes obligatory. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. No, is there a, no. Yeah. There's not. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have one right now, but I mean, obviously those wagers are so much fun and they're so lucrative that you kind of have to try. Yeah, I'm going to so, be playing around for sure. For sure in the all-turf ones. I think it's a great game selection thing. I, I And, you know, the terms of the bets are player-friendly and, and having a greatly reduced amount of CRW money makes them very, very appealing to me. Uh, and I think they're going to handle well. So uh, tr- tr- we're, tr- we're trying to talk those up as much as possible, get people involved, because I think it could be a good opportunity for us and for the listeners. You're playing in the BCBC or no? I am not. It was a, a bit of a conflict of interest, although, I mean, in retrospect, right. now that I'm sort of done with the morning line, it's it's kind of silly that it would be a conflict of interest. But, yeah, trying to play by the rules and, and be a good guy. I think that's right. I mean, I you can just hear right. you can hear people complaining yeah. now. And it's and there's a point to be made with it with, um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't do it, but it, it, it's just the appearance of the ability to, you know, muck around with the lines to influence the market. You know, you can just hear the complaints now. It seems like seems like better left alone. This is an event that you have cashed in for a six figure score. So your participation will be missed, but you'll Eight you'll have a lot of friends. Today, in fact. Is that right? <laughs> Eight years ago today. Yeah. Today, yeah. The November 1st, in addition, of course, to, to being all saints day for those of us that are recovering Catholics um, <laughs> is also, is also the day of the 2014 breeders cup. And, and I watched the uh, video I did with Peter Rotondo on the score this morning when I got up and I made my wife watch it as well. I think she was a bit more <laughs> underwhelmed than, uh, than most would, but you know, I, I think the first question became, where's all the money? <laughs> for those for people that have no context and you tell them yeah you know in 2014 I, my entry was worth one hundred and four thousand dollars, and they're like really okay well then you know why haven't we upgraded the house yeah, where's something? the car where's the new where's the new car yeah, it's, yeah exactly. um, <laughs> right amazing stuff well nick you're going to be a big part of the plus coverage as mentioned in the moneypodcast.com slash plus for folks who want to check that out and i really look forward to seeing you get here which day I get there on Thursday. I'm I'm ready. I'm going into the the uh, house of horrors with uh, staying with Pat Cummings with all of this <laughs> Philly Houston stuff going on. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, there, there there might be some uncomfortable moments. I think at those uh, at those dinners with you two and your at war baseball allegiances. Appreciate you very much, my friend. We'll see you soon. Sounds great, Pete. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank Nick Tamara one more time. I'll thank our friends at the Breeders' Cup. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. Oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, I have to thank the fans. We've gotten so many nice comments just walking around Lexington. People are so happy with the coverage. Appreciate that very, very much. And we've just got a ton for you. Check out the YouTube channel. Um, if you don't already subscribe, please do that wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate the support In the Money Media. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>